Hello and welcome to the Folk Music Podcast. My name is Anders and this is the first episode of the show. I have previously done a short intro episode where I talk about my vision for the show and sort of why I have created it. So uh, if you haven't had a chance to listen to that one yet, you can go back and do that if you like. But this is the first real episode and I have an actual guest on, so you won't have to listen to me ramble on (laughs) into the mic for an hour. Today's guest is Patrick Alberg. Patrick is a Swedish folk musician, but he has been living in Chicago for a good few years now. Uh, And he has a wonderful fiddle and guitar player. And I encourage everyone to go and check out his album Gitarlåtar, which means guitar tunes in Swedish, where he plays different traditional Swedish and Norwegian fiddle tunes on the guitar. And uh, it's a lovely album. He's done a great job in translating these tunes onto the guitar. But Patrick is also a very interesting person with uh, lots of opinions and ideas, so I knew that he would be a great guest for the show. So uh, in this conversation we touch on uh, a number of different topics. Part of why I wanted to have Patrick on is that I wanted to discuss the differences between the folk music scenes in America and Scandinavia. So we talk about that and uh, we talk about his album and his process for approaching the Swedish music on the guitar. And I got a bit nerdy. <laughs> and we also go down a few rabbit holes discussing things like the future of folk music, um, preservation versus innovation. And uh, we also touch on the current COVID-19 pandemic and how it's affecting the folk music scene. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Patrick Alberg. Okay, so I'm here with uh, Patrick Alberg. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. I'm very proud to be on the inaugural podcast show. It's going to be great. <laughs> this is uh, this feels a bit intimidating with uh, all the the technical stuff and um and one thing that that uh, occurred to me <laughs> that will probably be a reoccurring theme in this podcast is uh, uh Scandinavians trying to speak English in <laughs> <laughs> in funny ways because uh-huh. a lot of the guests that I plan to have on are indeed from Scandinavia, but I still want the show to be available for people don't speak Scandinavian languages. I love it. Which is most people. <laughs> yep, yep, most people. But, I mean, you, even though you're from Sweden, uh, you shouldn't be having any troubles with this because you've been living in an English-speaking country now for, uh, how long is it? It's like since 2013, so it's been a little while. Um, <clears throat> I can't even count how many years that would be, but someone can do the math out there, I'm sure. From 2013. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. anyway... Uh, this is the first episode of of the show, and when I was thinking about different guests that I would like to bring on, uh, your name came up pretty quick. In many ways, I think that you are like the perfect guest because we have a very similar story, I think, mm-hmm. in that we're both musicians from uh, Scandinavian countries who um, like started out in one place musically, and then we had some kind of musical revelation happen to us, and then that forced us or made us... Uh, move into a different kind of music and even like relocate to a different uh, location. Uh, and in my case, I ended up spending a couple of years in Ireland and you moved to the US uh, mm-hmm. and you're still there. Mm-hmm. So um, why don't we start there? Why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, how you got started and how you eventually ended up in the US? Sure. Um, 
Yeah, it's a good uh, it, it's a good theme. The uh, where you start and like what little instances will change you and put you on a certain trajectory. Like I went to uh, folk music school, Folkhögskola, for all the Scandinavians out there. I'm sure you're familiar. I don't know if you have it in Norway. We have it in Sweden, and it's kind of a big uh, sort of rite of passage for a lot of people. Um, but to people who don't know what Folkhögskola is, it's basically like a conservatory style. Uh, school where you can learn something uh, specific, like a craft. So I went to a folk music school. Um, and this is something you do after high school usually? Yeah, it? after high school, right? And you don't get like college uh, credit or whatever for it. So it's like its own little thing. Uh, and I went to one called Sjövik. So shout out to Sjövik. Um, had a great time there. I had some great teachers. Uh, and it was kind of funny. I was doing a lot of... Uh, other music before then you know i was listening to a lot of progressive like uh english folk rock um and kind of played a lot of flute and stuff um and then one of my best friends i grew up with anton uh he's a great bagpipe player we started playing bagpipes and he was uh he was trying to get to this school and i kind of just tagged along and i actually auditioned for the jazz program and didn't get in um <laughs> so so you you're playing jazz at the time that was your I night. was yeah I was playing a lot of jazz in high school I was like trying to be Pat Metheny real bad in high school so <laughs> um so I auditioned for the jazz and the folk and I get into the folk program and it ended up kind of changing my life in a great way so I'm really glad I didn't get into the jazz program um it was great and it was such a great experience to get to like practice all the time um and that really set me up for the sort of community aspect of folk music. I was really shocked uh, at how communal and fun and like open and friendly it is. Uh, went to some folk music festivals in Sweden and just fell in love with the whole thing. And then midway through the whole thing, I was playing flute at the time. So I started playing violin uh, instead. And um, yeah, it was like hard. It was hard to just, just kind of start as an adult uh, on the violin. But mm. uh, so, how, how old you were you at this point when you started the violin? Twenty, twenty, maybe twenty, nineteen, twenty, or something like that. Twenty-one. Mm. I don't remember. The years are also like my, yeah, my, my, um, my sense of like time is really warped. So I don't really yeah, know. I, but it was like I, I, I think I was nineteen or twenty. I know the feeling. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, I was just doing that, uh, playing violin like a million hours a day. And then uh, after I left the folk music school, uh, I moved to Gothenburg, uh, Göteborg. Yes, I've actually lived in Gothenburg one year myself. So. Oh, cool. Yeah, it's one of my favorite places. Mm, for it's a sure. great city. Yeah. So I was um, meeting up with some people there, playing a lot of folk music. And then I started working at a violin shop, just kind of working extra, um, doing, you know, cleaning off like stickers off of kids' violins. Uh, <laughs> just like doing regular retail stuff. And then in some weird way, I found out about violin making and I got really interested in it um, and started like buying books about it and blah, blah, blah. And then I found out about the school in Chicago, the Chicago School of Violin Making. There's a lot of name dropping and shout outs today, but shout out to the Chicago School <laughs> of Violin Making. Um, yeah, so... I, I applied and I eventually ended up at the violin making school in Chicago, which is where I live right now. Uh, so it's kind of a weird story. It's not super clear, you know, like some stories have like a perfect beginning, middle and an end, but this is not one of those stories. <laughs> it's yeah, kind of well, a messy story, but um, yeah, I ended up living here and uh, uh, 
just kind of really got into American folk music too. I mean, I, 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 I was definitely working on that in Gothenburg a lot too. I was starting to like hang out with some people who play bluegrass and old time. Uh, and uh, I had met up with like Rachel Eddy before, this great West Virginia like banjo and fiddle player. Uh, and so I was already doing a little bit of both, like the Swedish and the American stuff. Uh, but definitely once I moved over here, I was kind of focusing for a while there pretty hard on uh, like American old time music was my favorite. But, for but sure. so initially it was like the violin making that brought you over to the US? Yeah, exactly. So I, see. I think a lot of people who move to the US from other countries have sort of a quote unquote reason to do so. And that's often school uh, or, you know, some kind of program to get you in. Right. That's usually how it works here. Because uh, anybody who's even like visited the United States, you all know how intimidating it can be, the immigration system. <laughs> so I so, heard, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's just, you know, it's a thing. So, um, so yeah, but that's it's, it's essentially what, what like brought me here and I did the program and then I ended up working, uh, working extra at a violin shop downtown doing like repairing and stuff. So I've always had my sort of like mini... Uh, sort of many hands and many things at the same time, I would say. Oh, great. So yeah. uh, what kind of music are you mostly involved in these days in, in Chicago? I, is there a Scandinavian scene there at all? A little bit, yeah. I mean, so I was working at the Old Town School of Folk Music, um, which is a great institution, again, with the name droppings. But uh, oh, Keep them coming. <laughs> yeah, keep them coming. So shout out Old Town. Um, yeah, so Old Town School of Folk Music is a great uh, institution uh, and like an old folk music school in Chicago. So I, when I was working there, I was doing mostly Scandinavian music, actually. I was like teaching fiddle and guitar and uh, mostly like Swedish folk music. Mm. Um, but yeah, there is a little bit of a Scandinavian community. There's some um, there's some real like diehard uh, players here, like Americans who play uh, in Chicago who are very, very involved and um, great people. So there's a little bit of a scene, uh, but I've kind of felt in the U.S. that there's, it's a big country, but it's also easy enough to get around to people. I think there's like culture here of kind of moving around and going places and touring. Uh, not saying that there's not a culture of that in Scandinavia, but I've never done it in Scandinavia, but I've done it a lot here. So, so this is feeling- you never done what? Touring? Like touring in Scandinavia, right. So I've only done it here. And here's the sense like like my bandmate, George, she lives in Nashville, but it doesn't kind of, it doesn't feel super far away, even though if you look on the map, it's pretty far. Yeah. Uh, so you can have a lot of kind of cross, like coastal, bi-coastal um, collaborations with people. So you mm. can feel kind of plugged into other communities, I think, even though you live in one place in the US, you can feel connected to like Nashville or whatever new york city or whatever it is um and, and then you know thanks to the internet of course yeah exactly now uh well i would assume that i mean chicago is a fairly big city so i would assume yeah. uh, just the chicago music scene is is probably <laughs> much bigger than most uh music scenes in in scandinavian cities i would guess so i mean it's huge yeah i i don't know if uh swedish folk music is the biggest but uh yeah like the neo soul and the blues and the you know, indie rock, Wilco's from here. There's a lot of like history of indie rock music here. Um, mm. Lots of great venues. Uh, again, I I feel like I'm kind of going out on a limb talking about this stuff because I'm not sure exactly. <laughs> but it's what I've heard. <laughs> but although I find that it's not always the size of the city that decides um, how good the music scene are. Like, right. uh, I mean, 
as I mentioned, I I was living a couple of years in Galway. Have you ever been there, by the way? I've never been. No, never been. I think that's probably one of my favorite uh, cities in the world that I've been that I've been in. Yeah. Uh, and like fairly small city, but the amount of music and culture and stuff going on in that place was just insane. Yeah. Um, and there are different reasons for that. I think like. Uh, Tourism is is one thing, but also the the scene. I mean, the city just seemed to attract like bohemian types and just sure. artists and uh, those kind of people. Mm-hmm. So um, no, but yeah. I think you're right. It's like it's not always about the the actual size of it, but the culture of the city, right, and the traditions and the people that are in it. Um, that's great. No, I I I I really like Irish music. Is not one of those things I've been fortunate to like dive into yet. I'm really I I love listening to it. I love listening to your stuff. Um, but it's one of those things. Like when I hear an Irish melody, sometimes I'm just not sure exactly what's going on. It all sounds the same to me. <laughs> mm. That's that's a what little, people say. But 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 I, but I, I think I suppose that goes with every type of music, doesn't yes, it? Absolutely. Like I I feel like all death metal songs sound exactly the same. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm How sure that like when you get into it, there are lots of variations and differences. Totally, and that's the beauty of it, right? That's why we love folk music so much. I think like the little details and the little differences and the like small sort of subtle flavors for sure. Yeah. So, but um, yeah, I, I wanna. I I would like to learn more about the differences between uh, what you perceive to be the difference between the the Scandinavian traditional music scene and the traditional music scene. In, in the US. Um, I mean, I have a little bit of experience uh, when it comes to like the difference of the scene in Ireland and in, in Norway. Which yeah, is what, do you, what do you think are the differences there? Like big differences? Huge, huge differences. Most of all, or first of all, traditional music in Ireland is so much more visible. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, it's almost like you can't escape it. It's just everywhere. You'll stumble across it almost. Mm. Whereas in Norway, you would have to be very lucky to stumble across Norwegian traditional music. I mean, up until I started doing traditional music, uh, I, I was more into jazz and, and other kinds of music. But I mean, I was a full-time musician, but I have never really heard Norwegian traditional music until I seeked it out actively. Oh, wow. Yeah. And you guys um, have the best the best music in the world. <laughs> <laughs> like, Norwegian traditional music is the best. I just want to have it on the record. Mm. I'm sure many of my listeners will be happy to hear that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I agree, it's it's great and it's very unique, but not and, so visible. You'd say, like in in the culture. Oh yeah, definitely. Mm. Uh, you never see it on TV, and you rarely hear it on the radio. And um, I mean, the scene itself is very healthy, very strong. And and now that I've gotten to know it, I met so many amazing players and amazing human beings, basically. Mm-hmm. But. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's not very visible. Whereas in Ireland, uh, traditional music is everywhere, mm. um, and there are more players. So uh, I mean, that's 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 one difference. Um, and another thing I was thinking about, or that I noticed, was uh, like the professional scene when it comes to actual paid gigs. Uh, huge difference. Whereas in in Ireland, there were loads of gigs, but they didn't really pay that well. Uh, mm-hmm. And 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 this might have to do with the the general music scene and the economy of the country and and so forth, but uh, you know this as well. I mean, if you get the festival gig or a gig or a, a gig at a music venue in Norway or Sweden, they would generally pay pretty well. But um, 
Yeah, but how would you say that uh, compares to the U.S.? I was going to say maybe it's the same thing. I I, I think there's uh, I don't know if it's like inflation maybe that there's a lot of like the more saturated a scene is, um, you know, the more gigs there are, the more people want to play. Also, you know, lots of players, lots of good players, um, mm. and I feel like it's kind of the same here. I I I think there are a million and a half uh, opportunities in Chicago to play gigs, and they're not always. Uh, you know, like a theater gig or like a gig. I mean, like a like a musical venue gig. It's more like a bar gig or a you know square dance, or you get paid a little bit to play, or like mm. a contra but, uh, dance, that, which I like to do. Uh, sorry, uh, but those are the kind of gigs that I feel miss that, that that we're missing in Norway at the moment. Like those, sure, yeah, kind of bar gig, like in Ireland. Oh yeah, I love it. You, you had those bar gigs everywhere, where you would be paid maybe from everything from like a 50 to 150 euros mm-hmm. for a couple of hours of music like sure. fairly informal but those gigs don't really exist in Norway as much and I'm not sure why exactly well I mean one of the things that I've noticed just like growing up in Sweden and living in Gothenburg and Odebro and other places um, I I think there's a more of an sort of go out and have a beer like a pint culture in Chicago and probably in Ireland as well I'm guessing um, I believe right? everyone in Chicago is like of Irish descent. So right. <laughs> it might be a yeah, connection. Definitely there. big enclaves of like Irish people. Um, yeah, but I think there's just much more of a kind of a out drinking culture. And again, like it's hard for me to say because I was pretty young when I moved out of Sweden. So I wasn't necessarily of age to, you know, like I haven't spent a lot of years in the Gothenburg bar scene. I'm, I'm sure there's great things going on there, but uh, just like the the amount of bars you have in Chicago and the amount of like mm. live music you can catch on every night. I just think there's a little more of a sort of an outdoor culture. And I'm, I, well, I said outdoor, I mean like sort of a night indoor, out culture, like, yeah. <laughs> indoor, but sort of out the bar. Uh, and I don't know if this is true with like Norwegian culture, but growing up, I kind of had the sense that Swedes like to plan a lot. Uh, like there's like, okay, let's put it in the calendar. Like we'll go to the bar the 16th at this hour and then it's two weeks away. But here, I, I just get the sense that you can call someone or text someone, like, do you want to go out and have a pint? And it's like, sure. And then you go. Um, yeah. yeah. And the prices yeah. might be better too. I don't know. Like, I feel like the prices, like beer is cheaper here. I have a feeling. I think that's the the thing with beer prices or drinking prices in general. It's, it's, a, very, it's a very good point because, I mean, Nor- in Norway, you can probably get the most expensive pints of beer in the whole world, which mm-hmm. I suppose make... I mean, the Norwegian drinking, you know this, Norwegian and probably Swedish drinking culture is very much, you drink the alcohol at home. Yeah. <laughs> and then you and then you go to the bar Fair completely fest. wasted. At, yeah, for, yep. for fest. <laughs> Pre-party. <laughs> <laughs> and then you go out to the bar completely wasted at midnight. Right, and, right. And like... And get kicked out. Yeah. No, yeah, there's definitely that culture. And I, yeah, I, I can imagine like prices would be one of those things. But I also think that just like, like in Chicago, there's... Um, um, there's like a pride in the culture of the city, like a civic pride of people here who like to go out and, and enjoy live music. It's like a thing that Chicagoans like to do. Uh, and the same like in Nashville, you know, which is a place I frequent a lot or used to anyway. And, you know, there's so many bars and such a culture of live music that it's not that everyone's mm. making, you know, a ton of money that they can put in the bank, but it's like, it's a constant flow of like entertainment and little like sort of small sums of money, right? So you can, if you're active and, and good you can definitely make you know like a maybe not you maybe won't be able to put a bunch of money in the bank but uh at least you can pay for bills right and like pay for food yeah and it's like uh, i mean 
growing up in Norway and, and, and having been a musician in Norway for quite a few years now. What I used to miss, even living in Oslo, which is the biggest city, is just the opportunity to go out and play every night. Like, yeah. I'm not as young as I used to be anymore, So, but at least back when I was 22 years old, like all I wanted to do was play. Yeah. Uh, and and in, in the city where I uh, used to go to music college, Kristiansand, like it was it was hardly any, any gigs to be had. Like I was ready to play every day of the week uh, yeah. for like fifty euros. I mean that would be great. I would probably sure. rather do that than do one gig for uh, three hundred euros. If you know yeah. what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, definitely. Uh, but but yeah, those opportunities aren't as plentiful, unfortunately. But um, but I don't uh, know. Like Sweden and Norway, I mean things are changing. So I don't know. Like I mean, I when I lived in Gothenburg I remember this we had like one craft beer I'm not sure if this is true but this is a memory that I have that like Anchor Steam was the craft beer that you could get and so but I feel like now there's like a microbrewery in every small town in Sweden so how timeless have changed yeah right so like I'm wondering if this is going to change too I you know I I certainly look on Instagram a lot of my friends living in Sweden they seem to be you know spending a lot of times in bars um for better or worse so (laughs) (laughs) but yeah who knows like i i I would be very keen to go back sometime i mean i have been back a couple of times uh since i moved here uh but it would be great to go back and like try and do a tour in sweden i I i would love to try and put that together and see what the differences would be i have tried to book some stuff and it is different i've noticed like the booking culture um might be a little bit different uh Mm. I had this feeling like, again, maybe with the amount of gigs you can get in Chicago, maybe the resume isn't as important, perhaps. I don't know how to put it, but because there's so many small paying gigs, you can probably just send a demo and it's fine. Then the bar owner's like, great, love it. Can you play a couple Irish tunes also? And you're like, yes. Yeah. Uh, Whereas like you can make a lot of pit stops. Excuse me. So if you put up a little tour, uh, you can have little stops along the way. uh, And it seems to be quite easy to patch a little... Uh, a little tour together. I should say the tours I've been on, I feel like my bandmates are the ones doing all the booking, so I shouldn't <laughs> speak too much about this. Um, but I just had this feeling like I tried to book some stuff in Sweden and it was always like, well, you should have been like two years ahead. Like you're a little mm. late. You know, like the, there's maybe very, that. No, it's, it's very professionalized in sure, a way. Sure, right, which is great in one sense, right? Because like the musicians probably get paid more, etc. The, the musicians get paid and... Um Everybody and, are paying taxes and yeah, <laughs> <laughs> all that stuff. So, like what you're describing there, uh, uh, a folk music tour with lots of sort of casual pit stops al- along mm-hmm. the way. It's, it's 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 very hard to do in Norway, in my experience. Though I mean, from playing niche genres like jazz and folk music for many years, I've done loads of those tours. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's i'm i'm sure it has to do something to do with the size of the country as well sure but um but the good thing about norway is that you have these uh, uh well obviously you have the music festivals but you also have like uh concert organizers around the country which specializes in different genres of music mm. uh, for example jazz or like a jazz club or uh, or a folk music um uh, well usually not a uh, dedicated venue but some concert series have like concerts one or a couple times a month, something mm-hmm. like that. Sure, yeah. And and they will usually have a little bit of uh, government support, so they will be able to pay like proper wages 
or what proper uh, concert fees. Mm-hmm. But the problem is, of course, that they just get flooded with uh, requests. Right. Because right, right. there's like how many festivals in Norway for folk music? Maybe five or six, and there's about the same amount of like uh, these concert series. Wow. And yeah. And and God knows how many musicians and and bands. So uh, right, and really good ones too. Right. That's that's the well, problem. There's so many great. <laughs> there's like yeah. So the scene is totally saturated. These guys get flooded with uh, requests because there are so many great musicians in the folk music field in Norway at the moment. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, the competition can be <laughs> quite fierce. So how and would I you like? How would you then stand out? Like how? Like how, what's a booking strategy that you would have in Norway to like try and be like? But pick me because I'm better than the other person who's also really great. Well, I mean, this is my just my personal feeling, and bear in mind that I'm I still consider myself the new kid on the block. <laughs> I haven't really been into traditional music more than. Four years, maybe at this point. Which is crazy because you sound really, really good. Oh well. Which everybody thanks. who listens to this <laughs> will know already. <clears throat> um, back to uh, your question. I think the 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 best thing you could do f- to get booked in Norway is to have been booked at the same venue before. Right. To have like an established kind of relationship. Yep. That seems to be the thing. And it means, I mean, it makes total sense because if you're uh, if you're an organizer or a festival, if you're a booker, basically, and you get 500 emails uh, and you already know 10 of them, mm-hmm. like, it's it's so easy for you to, to go with what you already know is great. Oh, sure, yeah. Than, um, I mean, so that makes total sense. Yeah, um, and I mean, in, like, in terms of selling tickets and being sure from 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 the booker's end i'm sure it makes more sense like okay i trust this person i know that they play well they show up on that's time that's a great point as yeah. well yeah. yeah a big thing in the norwegian music scene especially in the niche genres is that uh, there's quite a bit of government support to be had if you know how to uh, to uh, if you know where to send the the applications and sure, yeah. you know you know how to write them and all that stuff mm-hmm. um, so i think some people some people Sometimes I think feel it feels like they forget that they also need to draw some people, right. <laughs> like actual actual audience. To you can gigs. be like a good grant writer, but you also have to draw people. Yeah. Yeah. So, but how how does that work in the U.S.? I think it's very similar. I was actually when you were talking, I was like feeling like yeah, this is kind of the weird paradox. If you're a new player and you're kind of you're great and you want to get into the scene, but yeah, like you have to already be in to get in in a sense. Mm. Um, but on that topic, I was going to say kind of segues into the culture thing we talked about earlier. Like, I also think that the scene here is very friendly. I have to say that, oh my gosh, like people are so nice and welcoming to new players. I don't know if that's your opinion of, you know, the sort of Scandinavian. I don't feel like there's a lot of gatekeeping here, which is great. There's a lot of people who are super great, but also very open to like letting new people in. Um, like in... Um, some of the big like folk venues like uh, Club Passim, uh, uh, like we got to play one of their like you know uh, discovery series. Like they had a little thing where they let new players come in and kind of like establish or like you know introduce themselves to the scene, so to speak. Um, so there are like lots of little things that they do to keep it to keep like new blood coming in. Um, yeah. But I think it's a lot of the same stuff. You have to be good at presenting why they should book you. And oftentimes it's like, because I played here last year. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, I suppose it's it's the same for most people in most genres. I, I would all, think but, so, yeah. 
it would be so interesting though to hear from like the like really hardcore like jazz community or you know like pop community i'm so interested how those like how that booking works if it's similar right because i feel like folkies are so open and folkies are a different kind of people maybe Mm. in my opinion and even like folk venues that are folk friendly might not be the same as like a really like quote-unquote cool like pop venue in stockholm or something or like oslo this is just me speculating but i would think that people organizing uh, like folk music concerts and jazz concerts like niche things like that the guys or or the people organizing the events they're usually 100% into the music themselves they're mm-hmm. doing this for because of the love of the music sure. and most times the, the people throwing the concerts they won't even get paid they're just uh right but like just breaking do- even at best yeah yeah totally. best yeah, exactly yeah um, that's a great point yeah there's a lot of passion going on in this scene which is like beautiful and, and amazing and I'm not saying that the people who, who who organizes the big commercial pop music festivals aren't passionate about music but it's still a little, I feel it's still a bit more business and a little bit less passion maybe um, I think we hate them at least that's there is business <laughs> just kidding <laughs> so, sorry what did you say no I said like I think we hate them I think that's what we're trying to say <laughs> yeah, I'm just kidding yeah, love, just, love my mainstream fam out there just envious <laughs> okay, so one thing that I wanted to uh, talk to you about was um, your album Gitar Låtar, mm-hmm. um, which uh, I discovered a couple of years ago, and uh, it's it's actually one of my favorite albums. I think it's uh, oh, it's, thank it, you. It's definitely in my um, uh, my um, heavy rotation on Spotify. Wow, thank you. <laughs> I appreciate that. So um, on the album, you're playing. Uh, it's it's mostly Swedish and Norwegian fiddle tunes, is it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, but. But played on the guitar, the, yep. the nylon string guitar yep. solo, just just you on the whole record, uh, and it sounded when I first heard it, it sounded very fresh to me, um, and it's something I haven't really heard before, mm. um, at least not very successful because, well, I don't really play the fiddle, but I mean Norwegian music and Swedish music are uh, fiddle music originally yep. anyway, and translating the Norwegian fiddle tunes to to the guitar or the Swedish to the guitar seems very difficult mm-hmm. um, I, I I mean I have some experience in trying to translate fiddle tunes to the piano right and right. The, and the accordion even and and I know how hard it can be yeah so um, why don't you tell us a bit about uh, the process and, and how you um, sure I mean you also play the fiddle right which right, I suppose which would be an ad- <laughs> advantage but uh, right yeah what's your but idea yeah, behind the album th- and that's actually kind of my uh, my angle that I wanted to take on the guitar playing. It's like I've always been kind of unhappy with myself uh, playing guitar normally until I started messing around in other tunings. Like I've never been... I am a guitarist. You know, like I said, I, I, I wanted to be Pat Metheny for a long so time. That, that, so that was, I, your fir- was that your first instrument, guitar? Or your first I like, think main so, instrument? yeah. It, it probably was. Yeah, I was playing a lot of Metallica with my brother. Um <laughs> <laughs> and uh yeah like a lot of rock and metal music and all kinds of stuff but <clears throat> yeah so guitars always felt very comfortable to me right as an instrument like i i feel comfortable with the plucked instrument uh but then i was really obsessed with fiddle like i said and i started playing fiddle and there's one thing that i've always been kind of unhappy with the guitar is this kind of the sort of thuddy dryness of a guitar you know what i mean like there's something about flat picking on a guitar sometimes that i can feel is like kind of percussive more than it is melodic yeah and maybe it can be hard to get it to sound very dynamic when it right comes to totally 
Right, because it's kind of a quiet instrument. I mean, if you listen to bluegrass guitar, uh, every time there's a solo, like you have to like everybody else has to like hush down <laughs> yeah. so you can hear the yeah. guitars, and they're playing it's, like super it's, hard. It's, it's the same thing with um, the double bass solos in in, in jazz. Right. <laughs> like right, right. Shh, the, the bass has a solo. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> totally, yeah. And then like the drums can come in on a hit, like. Tsh, tsh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, and that's cool. And I love that. Like, I'm super inspired by a ton of, like, bluegrass flat pickers, like Molly Tuttle and um, Brian Sutton. Like, there's so many great, like, guitar players out there that, are, that inspire me. So I kind of took a little bit of the sensibility of, like, flat picking, right? Because I use a pick. That's one of the things in my album. I don't, I play a classical guitar, but I play with a pick mm. um, in the dadgad tuning, like, almost exclusively. Uh, so when I started messing around with Dadgad, I started like, oh my God, you can play like open chords, right? Everybody starts having that experience when they try Dadgad. It's like, oh my God, I can put one finger on a thing and then just play a yeah, bunch yeah. of stuff. And it sounds great. great. And I love that. That's still like one of my favorite things to do. It's just like play suspended chords mm. with open strings. But then, you know, when you get more, uh, when you start experimenting with it, what one of the things I found is like I wanted to control it a little bit more. Like the voices or the voicings that I was making on the guitar. Um so I started developing this kind of like fiddle idea of having a first position, right? So like on a on a fiddle, you play like first position, and I use a lot of open strings when I play folk music. Uh, so I started I started learning tunes that way. I started learning fiddle tunes, approaching them from like an open string, you know, like first position violin vibe. And maybe if someone listened to this right now, plays violin, like I think you know what I mean. Like there's something, there's like a there's like a feeling of first position on a violin. That maybe is akin to like a certain box on a guitar neck. Like, you know, like I, I learned like pentatonic scales and boxes when I started okay. playing. Hmm. That's like one of the ways I thought of it is like little sections of the fingerboard, right? So I took, instead of taking a middle part of the fingerboard, I just like moved everything to the nut. So everything was in first position. So then I was trying to hmm. find melodies that I could use as many open strings as possible, basically. That's how this whole thing started. Um, but I'm trying to mimic with, that. Did you play around with different tunings or... I actually never did. I mean, I, I listened a lot to this guy, Jose Gonzalez, the Swedish uh, amazing guitar player. And I was like, probably swept up in that like everybody else in like the early 2000s or whatever that was. Mm. Uh, and he played Dadgad and I was really into it. And he also plays nylon strings. So I'm sure it's no like coincidence that that became a thing I really enjoyed. Uh, but I have to say, and then I found one, I have to say like people think that I kind of invented this thing or whatever. I think I took it to a certain like space but I just have to make that known to the universe that he is the best guitar player that ever lived um, he's a, he's hyperbole player, for sure. he's, he's amazing and like I remember being in folk music school and like staying up all night listening to his videos on YouTube when he was just like playing polskas with a pick on a nylon guitar I think mm. he plays standard tuning uh, but his sensibility of like trilling and um, like rhythm like that was the thing right his sense of rhythm like really really uh, struck a chord with me <laughs> uh, so it was like really inspiring so i but i think like taking some of his idea about like being able to play nylon with the pick was kind of interesting to me because i think that so often as a guitar player we want to go to steel strings because it's you know pretty and sparkly uh i wanted like the dark and muddy type mm. of tone right i wanted to try and mimic more of a lute maybe i was also listening to Totamatson from hiedningana a lot okay like mm. i love and um a lot of like lutenists that I am really obsessed with. So I think it's mm. about sort of grabbing some of the sensibilities and things that you really enjoy, like harp, right? It's like things that you enjoy about other instruments and trying to incorporate it into the instrument that you're playing. Mm. Um, 
And that's often, like you said, like dynamics can be one of them, right? So playing solo, you have an opportunity to play around with dynamics a lot. Uh, yeah. And like using open strings, right? So when I use open strings, what I try to do is like try to think of it as pretty like simple, like, and again, to fiddle players, you're familiar with double stops and drones in folk music. Mm. So having the Which tuning that I have- Which is always very difficult to translate to uh, keyboard instruments. Oh yeah, totally, yeah. And I listened so, uh, to you playing like the, what's it called? The pump organ, the- uh, The reed organ, yeah. The reed organ, yeah. Mm. I mean, it's really cool. You have to kind of keep the finger there while you kind of dance around the other keys to keep the drum. Yeah, you kind of like fake uh, double stop uh, draw. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but it sounds very, really cool. Very similar. Yeah. So I think what I try to do is keep it pretty simple. So like try to follow sort of the one chord and the five chord in a lot of tunes. Mm. You know, because just like in, um, with like Swedish music, I feel like, it doesn't, it kind of revolves around a lot of the similar chord progressions, at least like traditional music, in my opinion. Um, and it's usually like well, a one and a five, right? Like in a lot of music that I listen to, e- even if it's minor, it's like the one chord, the first chord, and then the fifth chord of the scale. Yeah. And so those are open strings on the on the Dadgad guitar. Like if I'm playing in D, in D, which is like the open key, if you will, um, mm. then you have the root note being D, so you can use a lot of those like open ringy strings to get the big one chord, right? And then you can play the melody notes. And then when you get to the five chord, the next uh, string A would be your fifth, right? So then Mm. you would have like the five as a drone. So you can kind of create sort of a basic sense of harmony with double stops and that tuning really well. And I've heard people do it on standard tuning, uh, like super well. And even that uh, style tuning, like FC, FC, whatever it is. Yeah, just just fifths or something? Yeah, it just fits. Right. I tried that. I was really bad at it, so I gave up. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it's about sort of creating a little more, like this kind of illusion of harmony, right? So I'm not always playing, but when you play with sustain, like you play uh, notes kind of in a harp aesthetic, like you're trying to play ringy notes, you kind of get a lot of spillover, like sort of like harmonic spillover that mm. kind of trick your ears into thinking a lot more is going on, I think, than is actually happening. Yeah, yeah, because it's a very, um, yeah, it's very, like, complex sound, I think, for, mm-hmm. in in a good way. Sure, yeah. Um, and I um, and I think you're right about um, uh, the nylon string making it sound a bit more darker than, yep. uh, I mean, these days, all the music we listen to sounds very bright to my sure. ears. like bright so and it's loud, very, yeah very refreshing to hear something a bit darker i appreciate Uh, that and the other thing about the nylon string is very malleable like it's a very soft kind of string i play high tension strings or hard tension but i can tune like that's another thing about playing in open strings you have the opportunity to tune thirds like in a nice way so what i try to do with my album is like when i have anytime you hear on the album a chord that's Mm. like a big major chord usually what i'm trying to do is i'm trying to like bend the third the note, the, like the like in D, I'll, I'll bend the F sharp forward, like you know, towards the bridge of the of the guitar, and then you can lower it just a couple of cents, so it's like begets that perfect, you know, like harmonic, like like the oomph, the umami factor of the yeah. chord. Uh, so, th- and I've I've tried that with uh, steel strings, and it's not as easy for me. I think there's something about nylon strings you can tune a little bit easier too. Um, and I'm sure you've seen yeah, guitars do that when you they kind of get that bloom effect, you know, when you play a chord and you kind of start like vibrating a little bit, mm. kind of gets like this full like you kind of, I think you're activating a lot of overtones. That's what I'm assuming yeah. is happening. So, the nylon string is a lot. It's it's a very dynamic instrument or like a dynamic string, I should say, because of that yeah. you can tune it and kind of mess around with it more. And for some reason, I've never been a huge fan of the nylon string. 
guitar. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not sure why. It might be because of the music that is usually played on it. But uh, right, sort of like flamenco. <laughs> like yeah, never been a fan <laughs> of that stuff. E, uh, big E major chords. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> a lot of that stuff. That kind of um, sound, yeah. But there are and also like, like in Sweden, I like I, I don't know if in Norway, but in Sweden, like every person had a nylon string guitar at the house parties and would play Wonderwall yeah. or whatever. <laughs> yeah, I remember in like in music high school, like everyone would just bash out Metallica tunes acoustically yeah, yeah. On, on on the nylon <laughs> guitar in, in totally. the breaks. I think it ruined the instrument a little bit. <laughs> so that might have something to do with it. Uh-huh. But uh, but yeah, definitely recommend everyone going out uh, and checking out your album. You title up that. Um, Parentheses guitar tunes. Guitar tunes. <laughs> it's like if <laughs> you want to find it, yeah, it's official, like if, official if, title. Right. It's like there, there's a like guitar lotta, and then underneath is like a parentheses guitar tunes. Yeah. So. So um, yeah, do you play much guitar these days, or is it? Is I do. The main. Yeah. No. I I I definitely do, and I I keep getting so inspired. I listen to, like now under quarantine and you know the whole pandemic i've been trying to listen to a lot more music like new music i'll try and like check out a couple albums a week uh, and really spin them a bunch uh so i've been listening a lot to just this week like brazilian music and kind of like bossa nova and and like samba and things like that um so yeah i'm constantly trying to like expand my musical horizon on the guitar uh and it's one of my go-tos i mean i play a lot of fiddle but uh, it seems like guitar is one of those things. Like, I don't know how you feel. I would be curious as to hear which instrument that you feel, because you're a multi-instrumentalist as well. So, like, which instrument do you go to? Like, if you had a, like, ride or die one instrument that you could bring to a desert island, would you bring the accordion or would it be, like, you know, would it be, like, tin whistle or what would it be? Uh, definitely not tin whistle. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a good question. Like, uh but like do you have one that you go to like if you have an idea like you're like you're, you're in the kitchen you're doing dishes and you're like damn and then you have to run and get something or like you have to run and try something would you like which instrument would you pick up I think for me that instrument would <laughs> strangely enough be the Hammond organ oh sweet yeah that's awesome <laughs> that's really cool uh, and at the moment like it is actually like I'm living in a in a big house in the countryside now and I've done so for the last couple of years mm-hmm. so now I have the Hammond organ set up in my living room so I can actually play it whenever I feel like it yeah Uh, whereas I mean it's such a huge instrument so before I would always have to store it somewhere in in some rehearsal space or or at school when I was in school yeah so well and like that startup cost can be tough right if you have an instrument that requires like you know 15 minutes of like setting up so yeah that's that's a big big uh, hurdle for sure yeah so um, yeah I'd, I'd say for me like I didn't start traditional. I started traditional music even later than you in my mm. mid twenties, um, and I think it's something about the music that you learn very early in life. Uh, it's it just sticks in your fingers and in your head in in a different way than the music you learn later in life. Definitely, I agree. That's 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 my experience. Like, I still consider the blues to be my first language, like musically. Yeah, uh, and, that's a good one. And and folk music will probably forever be my second language mm-hmm. just because of the age uh, I was when I actually learned how to play it sure. if, if that makes sense yeah yeah it really does but and i and i think that's the 
I mean, I hope that people feel free to incorporate their, you know, their original, like, quote unquote, or like original sensibilities. Like you said, when I was 16 and listened to like Jaco Pastorius or whatever, or Pat Metheny, I hope I can bring that, that person into my music now. And I'm sure it's not like an accident that when you listen to that and you listen to Hiat Ningana and you listen to like a lot of whatever folk music, that it's all going to kind of mash up and become this unique thing, hopefully. Mm. So, and I think there's a little bit of a, or I have run across people, not everyone, but a lot of people who are very worried about fitting into the style that they're working on. And I get that there's a there's a reason for that. Like if you're playing traditional jazz, maybe you really want to know your standards well, right? And you want to like fit in and do the do the thing. But in folk music, I think we're so often so worried about not innovating and just kind of like keeping it at the same, you know, even keel. Like let's not be too cocky here and like let's not try too much. Yeah, because um, it's like the underlying sense of preservation. Right, you know right, I mean? right, like, totally, like preservation, right, exactly. Like, no one thinks about that in, in rock, for example. Right, like, exactly. Like, let's not, let's not do any new things in case we lose the, the, <laughs> the, the whatever they were doing back in the 70s. Sure, yeah. Well, I'm um, not, I mean, there's a lot of new folk music, right? Like, I think of Vassin, which is, like, I'm sure a lot of listeners would, like, know about, and they've been so influential with their, like, amazing, like, harmonies and kind of modern sensibility. But it's like um, they're... Th- about 30 years old at this point, I think. Right, right. But that's still <laughs> kind of the main go-to, right? People do the same kind of like chord substitutions and the same mm. like vibes. And that's great. I love like some of my favorite music is just that. Um, and I, I'll, I'll, I'll never get enough of like party scandy, like ripping tunes, you know, with that kind of stuff. But but I feel like uh, not that much have happened in the Swedish folk scene since Vesen. Or right. like it, it, it might be me not being intimately familiar with everything that goes on in the Swedish folk music scene but uh, it seems like the, the, just the basic formula that they kind of I don't know invented almost back yeah. then it's sure. it's kind of the same in Irish music where people are still playing Irish music in bands the same way as uh, the Danon and and Planksty and those guys kind of invented back in the 70s yeah yeah uh, and I don't know, maybe it's just because it works so well, it's very hard to to come up with something different. I don't know. Well, I was going to say, like, that's something I would love to pick your brain about for, for us for a second, too, is, like, what would be an avenue of innovation in traditional music? Because, I mean, I guess the someone could listen to this and be like, well, the reason why I want to conserve and preserve is because this is part of the music. It's almost like anthropology, right? We're, we're trying to preserve like stories. And so I really appreciate when people go the extra mile and like learn the exact bowings and they learn from the source recordings and all that stuff is really great and amazing. Mm. But you wonder like, where is the line when you've sort of crossed over into something that's not trad anymore? I mean, I often felt that way with the guitar tunes. I'm like, am I, I'm kind of repackaging this in a way that is not true at all to the tunes where they lived originally. Mm. Um, and so I'm, I'm, I'd be curious, like, what would you feel would be like a way to preserve traditional, but still push? Like, would you like electronic music? I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to think like, what could be a new interesting avenue for traditional music to take? I I think it's an interesting question. And, and what's, I mean, what's, what I find interesting is that for the whole history of, uh, traditional music, say in Norway, up until, uh, the last hundred years or so, uh, I mean, things changed very slowly there weren't that many new impulses and uh, uh, I mean maybe I mean if, if you were a Norwegian fiddler living in some valley somewhere in the 1700s then like 
maybe some guy came along one day and, and taught you a new tune and then okay that was all the new impulses you would get in your right. lifetime and then like yep. your son maybe some other guy came and, and maybe you heard some music in church and but that would basically be it right so uh, no one had no one had to be concerned about losing the music in that the music would change too fast if you know what i mean sure yeah that's a great point yeah but i feel like that's almost something uh, <laughs> that needs to be taken into consideration today because music moves so fast now that yeah. um, if you constantly uh, change traditional music, bringing in all sorts of elements, uh, like whatever the, the, the new flavor is, uh, I suppose at some point you can't really call it traditional music anymore. Right. Uh, and And like... I mean, I find these discussions very hard to. Uh, I mean, there's no hard answers, and right, it's and like, like tough to navigate because you. Yeah, yeah, and after all, like, what is jazz? Like, no one right. can really answer that question anymore. Mm -hmm. Or when, where's the border between contemporary classic music and experimental jazz and, sure. and all that stuff? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I have no answers. But oh, that's uh, a great point. I, 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 I love what you mentioned about the the pace of change, right? Because that's a big part of it. And it's mm. almost like now that you're talking about so I'm like, hmm, I'm like starting to feel like I should be a conservationist now. <laughs> like a case for preserving something, uh, maybe in a time where things are moving real fast. Um, and you're right, there is no like sort of, there is no, like that's the weird thing about living in sort of a post-modern, I mean, huge quotes, right? It's like post-modern world where everything is kind of a reference. You can go to a library and find everything. Like everything is available to find yeah, in that's hindsight. also a nothing's very good contemporary point. in the sense that, like, like you said, with the, you know, mystery fiddler in the woods in Norway or whatever, mm. you, we don't live that life anymore. Like, none of us almost live that kind of existence. So, like, why would we? Um, well, like, yeah, we like we 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 don't have like a natural sort of lifespan of our of our musicianship in that sense that it moves slowly like you said we're going to be like listening like i said to two records a, a week or something and you can find every single album ever recorded basically on the internet mm. and so i wonder and like what the case of the like are you supposed to incorporate that like i wonder if the fiddler in the woods would have like incorporated that if he or she heard you know imaginary recorded music from the <laughs> 1700s <laughs> Yeah, because yeah, like you're saying, like there's so much coming in now that we can't possibly take it all in and and like incorporate everything we hear into our music. Right. But, but whereas back to my example of the imaginary fiddler 300 years ago, mm -hmm. like he would have to incorporate whatever came his way into his music because that was all he had. Right. Whereas I mean, things have changed so much just since I was uh, I started out playing music. Yeah. Uh, I mean, in the early 2000s, we, we still listened to CDs. So, like, if I wanted to learn about a new band or get into some new kind of music, I had to, like, invest hard cash in yeah. and do some research. And, and I couldn't afford to buy all the CDs in the world. So, right. uh, I mean, I didn't have access to... And this was before YouTube ever, like, became the big thing that it is today. Yeah. So, I mean, my access to music was uh, more limited. And I think that made things a bit almost easier because yeah. today, sure. like, it's so easy to get overwhelmed with all these things. And like, what do I, like you said, like, what do I bring into my musical expression? Uh, what do I not bring in? Uh, right, but but the, but the fact that you're have to, having to make a choice about that rather than it happening sort of organically, right? So maybe when you had one CD, that you bought, you know, like every six months or whatever, 
maybe there was a way for you to like digest that and listen to it and then organically incorporate it into your music. Whereas like now when you listen to two albums a week, how would you possibly have time to like digest it? And like, I mean, unless you learned every change on the record and like learned everything about it and then maybe you would like be able to bring it in. But I mean, yeah, we're just like, we have an appetite for, for culture for sure. Like I do. I mean, I consume, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a monster actually. Mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I feel like we're kind of segueing into a different conversation now about, I mean, how there's so much music now that yeah, uh, you just uh, use the example of people listening to two albums a week. I don't think people listen to albums anymore, unfortunately. Right, but okay. Let's say you, you listen to like singles out of forty albums in like yeah, yeah, week. yeah. Well, I, was, I mean, sorry, right. I told I totally got your point. Yeah, I yeah, was yeah. just I was just making a point that no one has the attention attention span to to actually sit down and listen to uh, Man, I barely do that's the thing like I, even the people I love I adore their music it's like I'm like looking at the clocks like cool 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 let's skip next track yeah yeah and it's I'm the worst. it's all because of how these platforms are made like yeah I mean when you're watching something on YouTube there's constantly things on the right side just oh click this click this yeah the click hole thing for sure so f- for me like the big um, the big save for me has been like started to uh, to collecting vinyl yeah. Oh, yeah. Totally. And not because I'm, I'm into that. Oh, vinyl sounds so much better. Blah blah blah. For me, it's just that it's so cumbersome to actually go up there and find, cha- find a specific tune. And yeah. so, oh, man. usually when I'm listening to an to an LP, I'll usually play the whole the whole record from start to finish. Yeah. Um, just because it's such a hassle to to actually change to a different uh, album. Yeah. I mean, that's great. I, I love that. Talk about active listening, right? And deep listening. Mm. I think, right, when you make, you have to carve out space in your day to like listen to a record and sit down and listen to it. Mm. Yeah, you're so uh-huh. right. I, I've sort of done the same thing. I've been buying a lot of, not a lot, but I've, buying, I've been buying some albums that I own digitally. I've bought them on vinyl and it's the same thing. I'm like, oh, I really want to hear that tune. But then you're like, I don't know where to put the needle down. And like, you have yeah. to go up and like look at the ridges and you're like, Yeah. So yeah, yeah th- that's that's a good way to listen. But I've also tried to learn tunes from vinyl. Like I bought like some Daryl Anger old vinyls, and they're amazing. But I was yeah, like that's... struggling to like try <laughs> to learn because I was like, how do I go back like ten seconds? You know? Yeah. So I oh. I have a like shout out to all the people who are like over forty and had to like learn tunes from oh, yeah. vinyl. Man, you are the real heroes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I I think about that like like we have it so easy these days. Mm-hmm. With like, if you want to learn a tune, just one click and it's there. You want to ha- listen to it at half speed, just yeah. Let's go to YouTube away. and just like listen to it at half speed. Yeah, yeah, and you probably find some someone teaching the tune phrase by phrase on YouTube. Right. I mean, like, <laughs> it's crazy, man. Not like now you're making me feel bad. I'm just like, I should, I, sh- I, sh- I should be a <laughs> lot better, <laughs> given the circumstances. But so um, yeah, that was a rabbit hole or a tangent. Or it whatever. was, yeah. Um, yep. But it was interesting. It was. It's kind of like the way the internet works. We click. We went on a click <laughs> hole. Related videos. So um, the last thing I think we need to touch on is. Uh, I mean, we haven't really talked about the current situation, as I like to call it. Right. These um, quote, like quote unquote, these crazy times. Trademark. Yeah. Oh, I'm so tired of hearing uh, these <laughs> strange times. All the commercials here in the U.S. are like, you know, Cadillac and these like big corporations doing like, we understand that heroes are this and that, blah, 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 blah. these crazy times. Trademark. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's yeah. the worst. 
So yeah. But yeah. Anyone, so what about these crazy times? Yeah. Now, for anyone listening from the future, this is uh, <laughs> taped in. Uh, well, I, I was going to say in the midst of the COVID nineteen epidemic. The great extinction. <laughs> the aliens listening in the future will not know about our <laughs> civilization. Yeah. Who knows? Um, but yeah, I'd say this is probably the beginning rather than the midst of the epidemic, but, uh, yeah, we'll see. But, uh, uh, Norway has been in lockdown more or less for, I don't know, six weeks, something like that. Yeah. Uh, and I you believe- guys are pretty early too. Like I think Denmark was the first of the Scandinavian countries to really like shut down. Right. And then Sweden never yeah. did. <laughs> no, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah, that's very interesting. Like uh, Norway, or I mean, Sweden has taken a totally different strategy from almost every other country in Europe, which is. I know it's making me so nervous. But I mean, what if they are right? I mean, they might be. I was, I was <laughs> yeah, reading I th- the news I'm today. Starting to I don't think know. they might be. They might be, but then at the same time, like, God dang, like I don't know. There, there, there's just something about like that model would just never work anywhere else. I feel. Like Why in the that? United States, like, well, because first of all, I I mean, this is again, now we're going into like, why, like caricature land. I'm just going to like paint my caricature Swede. Um, of course. And I'm thinking that like Swedes are pretty good at uh, trusting authority, right? And that's one thing I think is a theme, which could be good. Um, and then also like the social climate might be different. Like my sister lives in Italy and I think just like their physical touchy feely nature. Again, this is like, now we're in like broad stroke caricature. Land. <laughs> where it's like, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. you know, it's like the kissing on the cheek and the thingy. Uh, and also being outside and going to bars and stuff. So I know Swedes live like a, a lot of Swedes live by themselves. I think that could be one thing. I think also Swedes are pretty healthy. I think there's like, in America, I read today that like four out of 10 Americans are obese and like diabetes and hypertension is like a much bigger issue here than in Sweden. Also just a much bigger population. Mm. So it's almost like that strategy. I, I I just doubt that it would work anywhere else. Like it's, it's, it's funny what you said about Swedes and like Scandinavians not going out much because like yeah. <laughs> my, my life hasn't really changed that much. Right. <laughs> after the pandemic hit like <laughs> right right which and i mean like that's that i mean i have to say even though i live here like i mean in the last couple of months i of course you feel like the like trying to get strings has been uh but again i'm gonna sound like a brat now because people are actually having real problems i'm like oh i can't guitar i can't get strings yeah we, we all um, have our problems we all have our problems amen uh but yeah, I mean, I I just and also you know having my parents live in Sweden and uh, I I just worry in general because again my sister's in Italy so I get like one report from her which is very doom and gloom, mm-hmm. and then in Chicago I mean it's been very similar the 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 lockdown has been pretty uh, pretty real like I think Illinois was one of those states that pretty early on you know started with the with the quarantining and closing down stores and retail shops and whatever. Uh, but uh, it just feels like a different world when I look into my phone and I go to Instagram and I look at my Swedish friends and they're living their lives. They're living their best yeah. lives. And uh, but right, man, I'm just babbling. But the but the but the short of it is like I just don't know what's going to happen and I don't know if Sweden is doing the right thing. I guess I guess the future the, the futurelings who are listening to this they will all know if there's like yeah a, yeah just a world where just Swedes survived. 
<laughs> and it's now just a Scandinavian world. Who knows? <laughs> that sounds boring. It sounds very boring. <laughs> but uh, I'm assuming that uh, the music scene in the US is pretty much shut down in oh, the same man, way yeah. as the Norwegians. <clears throat> it's the worst. And I feel so bad for a lot of my musicians who have it so much worse. Like people who like... I haven't been living off of playing shows really for a long time. So I, you know, working at Old Town School or having like teaching gigs, I feel so bad for my friends in Nashville, for instance, who are all living, like making their, their bulk of their money by touring. Mm. Uh, it's been really tough for people. I know there've been some funds, like great sort of grant foundations have been giving people grants and stipends and things like that. Um, but it's just, it's it it sucks. I think it's like sucks when you when you put in uh, you know, you're halting a lot of people's momentum. You know, I know mm. a lot of people who were kind of like getting started and like getting, I mean, getting established and becoming a name or whatever. And then it's like, nope. Mm. Everything's off. Yeah. International tour canceled. Yeah. Uh, just like, I mean, I'm hoping that things are going to go back to normal like everybody else, but it makes you wonder sometimes. Like I wonder yeah. how the post-coronavirus uh, gig scene is going to be like. It will be different for sure. Yeah. Um, well this is my thoughts anyway but first of all I think it would be a long time before anything even starts to resemble normal mm-hmm. uh, and I'm I'm curious to see how people's behavior change because of this crisis like uh, well maybe like god forbid would, would people just prefer to watch those live shows on the live streaming shows instead of actually going out and paying oh, money for a concert like true yeah right that's a thing i mean i think we're so good at adapting so i'm like i mean i had the same experience when i went outside i I, I went to the store the other day and i was like disgusted when like a person walked by i was like how dare you how dare you walk like yeah, yeah. four feet away from me i'm just starting <laughs> to feel like agoraphobic and like sort of yeah, misanthropic i just feel like i don't like people anymore so i wonder you, it's you really think crazy people will start do you think people will start shaking hands again I, I don't know. I don't know. That's a great question. Or like hugging. Like, I mean, I like to hug people and I wonder like, you know, like, are we going to hug our friends anymore? I don't know. But, but mm. I, again, it's kind of a testament to our strength as humans, right? We're so good at just like, all right, this is the new normal. Let's go with it. Mm. Mm. Uh, but I hope that the sort of humanity doesn't get lost in that, right? That we still feel like we value strangers and like feel like we can hug people but even like public transport i mean like like public transit i'm i live in chicago and i take the train a lot so uh, i don't drive so currently maybe in the future when people hear this i will have a driver's license but right now i don't so (laughs) taking the train i mean i'm thinking about that just kind of the the little sort of the the heart and soul of the city it sort of feels to me like the the trains so i wonder Mm. like what that's going to be like and i thought about it the other day like had a nightmare about being on a crowded train like a rush hour train down to the loop mm. in chicago because that was like a week before the lockdown i was like elbow to elbow with strangers yeah yeah and that was perfectly normal back then totally and it's like it's just another day at four o'clock yeah it's just it's strange and now that feels like a completely different world yeah it's crazy it's like if you're in a store and it's just you and one other guy 10 feet away and and he coughs it's like <laughs> yeah you're just like, are you crazy like, are you crazy yeah exactly <laughs> yeah but yeah, I mean, hopefully hopefully we will remember why we like each other after this is all over. But it, but just you know, like so a quick note just I want to say something positive that I have found though. It's like I've connected with people during this, like friends like in a way that I 
probably took for granted and didn't do as much before this all went down. I mean, I've, you know, talked to people on the phone a lot, done a lot of like Zoom calls and like Skype hangouts. Uh, So in a way, I feel pretty close. And I also like video gaming a lot. So like I sort of spending a decent amount of time playing like video games online with people and it sort of feels kind of close you know when you talk like this and you play together um, mm. it sort of feels like i felt pretty connected even though we've all been apart yeah yeah I, i've been thinking about like what would happen if uh, this pandemic happened like in 1992 or something like oh before before the internet how yep. how would that be <laughs> I will be watching the same Disney like VHS tapes <laughs> over and over and over again. Uh yeah, that's a great question. I mean, right, we're we're like so equipped actually for this pandemic mm. in the sense like we have the internet. Oh my god, Netflix. Even even just 5 years ago, things would have yep. been very different with like technology and uh, and social media and all that yeah. stuff. Yeah. Oh man, totally. And I've been loving, I've been having, I mean, we all do like this love-hate relationship with like Instagram or, mm. um, I'm not on Facebook anymore, but you know, I guess. Uh, I good guess for you. The the Zook also owns Instagram, right? So, yeah. 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 But, uh, but I've been saying like, I've been really enjoying, like I feel pretty close to like the music scene, just like seeing people, you know, play shows or uploading music clips. I mean, it is my main go-to for like inspiration and like getting in touch with music too so yeah i'm super grateful i also like make fun of my friends on instagram so if that's you then i'm sorry not you particularly obvious, <laughs> but, uh just like there's a lot of sourdough going out on instagram i had a oh, little yeah. Yeah, tantrum there's, about sourdough <laughs> there's the <laughs> the virtue stamp. flexing i call it yeah <laughs> but yeah. you know i get it it's like people are scrambling to get a new sense of like community and that's actually i probably shouldn't be crapping on that it's people are doing their best Mm. Okay, so um, I think maybe we will uh, end it there. Yeah, but uh, that, that it felt like a positive note. It like did, yeah. Place. Hopeful <laughs> notes, yeah, totally. That's good. So, so uh, yeah. Uh, how, how do you think it went? My, I think it went my well. First, I'm, my first I'm a little. I feel like I'm pretty babbly. I don't know what I'm like saying half the time, but uh, it's cool. I mean, I love. You know, the podcast is a phenomenon. It's my like absolute favorite medium. Yeah. So I'm honored my- and blessed to be babbling <laughs> on a podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm the same. Like I'm a huge fan of podcasts and mm-hmm. like for me it, it it has almost replaced listening to music, I find. Uh, mm-hmm. like uh when it comes to just casually uh when I'm in the car or just doing things around the house or I rarely listen to music on headphones anymore. Sure. Uh, which is a bit sad, maybe, but uh, no. But there's something about an intimate conversation. You're kind of you're the third person in the room. It's 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 very interesting. Mm. Yeah, I mean, do you have any? Um, just real quick, do you have any like tips? Are there any cool podcasts that we should check out? Oh Jesus! Like I feel like this would say so much about me. I know it's like yeah. it's exposing. <laughs> so I need to show something that gives me cred, but. <laughs> No, 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 that's the whole point. You you have to like <laughs> pick the first thing that comes to mind. <laughs> no, I would definitely recommend Sam Harris's podcast, uh, Making Sense. Do you know mm. it? I do not know it. Please tell me. Give me the five-second uh, breakdown. Uh, I, I suppose he's a bit of a divisive figure, um, but I really like the way he reasons. So even though you, if you disagree with his views, I think you would still enjoy his podcast, hopefully. Um, but he basically brings on... Uh, guests uh, and discusses current topics but from his standpoint 
Um, mm. So, yeah, big fan of, of that podcast. Um, cool. And when it comes to music, uh, I enjoy the DIY musician podcasts. Are you familiar with, with that one? I'm not, but I'm going to check all these out afterwards. Yeah, yeah. Sure. It's, it's, it's by the guys who run CD Baby, the, oh. the distribution service. Right, right. Uh, but it's generally just a, a podcast about the, the music uh, or <laughs> our life as independent musicians. Oh, cool. Uh, that sounds really good. That's yeah. a good one. Do you have any recommendations? I do, actually. Like, this is the thing. Like, everyone's insufferable when they recommend, like, a thousand podcasts to you. <laughs> like, I get so many <laughs> podcasts recommended to me because you feel very strongly about it, right? You spend a lot of time with these voices in your head. Yeah, um, yeah. But there's a couple, like, that I would just encourage people to check out from, you know, from my little part of the brain. But um, so there's a great uh, piano player, uh, Neil Perlman. Maybe you're familiar uh yeah uh, trad cafe yeah trad cafe i love that one it's one of my favorites i love listening mm. to neil's like it's a great podcast and some amazing people on there it's really fun to listen to um i also listen to uh you know i try to limit my news intake a little bit so i've been listening yeah, to a too, podcast yeah. called science versus from uh-huh. gimlet media it's a really cool like uh, wendy zuckerman is a scientist and like science communicator and she's kind of distilling a lot of the current topics into like factual little 30 minute episodes with uh, okay, all the citations listed. So it's a very nice like podcast to get a little sense of what's going on. Um, and then I also like if people are really bored and want some like long form listening, like check out Dan Carlin's hardcore history. Oh, that's probably, that is my favorite podcast. He's so dramatic. Oh, he's amazing. great. I love yeah. him. So for, for anyone not familiar with Dan Carlin, like he just, he makes this, just gigantuous history podcast which stretches like hours and hours and hours it's like and four hours. or five hours an episode sometimes yeah yeah and like so it can be a series of like six episodes and every episode is four hours yeah um, and I, I know he, he did one on uh, the history of the Mongol Empire like Genghis yeah, Khan and that stuff it was amazing the, the Wrath of Khan I think it's called yeah exactly yeah <laughs> yeah it's one of my favorites for sure but yeah you it's know, so he, good he's so animated and so passionate yeah, yeah, I think that's 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 why I like it so much. Yeah. Well, maybe we can put a link in the or like a little list of the links to the podcast that we recommended. Um, yeah, definitely. I have to figure out how all this stuff works, but uh, but oh, I'll definitely I'll definitely find some way to <laughs> to to, to, to display will. the links. Yeah. So um, sweet. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate you uh, wanting to uh, sort of listen to what I have to babble about. It was really fun great i knew it would be great so yeah. um maybe i can have you back at some point um, oh i would love to yeah whenever you need babbling let me yeah. know i'm your guy <laughs> <laughs> i'll keep that in mind okay okay thanks go okay so i hope you enjoyed this first episode of the folk music podcast um i had a great time chatting with patrick and i learned a lot hopefully you did too now this was, uh, I suppose, my debut as a podcast uh, host. And uh, it's definitely a new experience uh, with a learning curve to it, for sure. Uh, and I'm sure that my style as a podcaster will evolve through um, the coming episodes. Um, I feel like I was a little bit stressed out in the beginning, so I think you can hear that uh, in the conversation. But as the episode went on, I sort of relaxed a bit more and and almost forgot that we were making a podcast. And that's when I think we got to the really interesting bits. 
So uh, that's definitely something I'll keep in mind for the upcoming episodes. Now, if you have any ideas uh, about uh, guests or uh, topics that I can um, that I can discuss on the show, uh, or any sort of feedback, really, I would uh, really appreciate if you would share that with me. There's an email address for the show now. It's uh, thefolkmusicpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, and I also made a dedicated website for the podcast, which is thefolkmusicpodcast.com. So, um, yeah, uh, I would really like to hear from you. Um, and um, I would highly appreciate your help in making this show as good as possible. But uh, that's all for today. So uh, thanks for listening. And uh, I'll see you again very soon. <laughs>